You know, whether you're competing with a trout or playing competitive sports, uh, every man I know likes to win. In fact, I don't know anyone who wants to lose. I mean, when it comes to sports, winning is always better. But did you know there's something better than winning the game? And that's winning a championship. I mean, every man in this room, sometime when you were young, probably dreamt of hitting the winning shot at the buzzer and winning the championship for your team. Uh, But reality begins to settle in and you discover it's hard winning games and harder still to win championships. But did you know there's something better than that? That's winning back-to-back championships. Now, that's hard. That's difficult. I mean, to repeat is quite an accomplishment, but to three-peat, I mean, that's next to impossible. Now, by three-peat, I mean uh, that's when a team wins three championships in a row. And if you've been watching the NBA Finals, you know that the Miami Heat are attempting to do that this year. And if they accomplish their goal of winning the championship, this will be their third, and that will qualify them for sports dynasty. Did you know that's God's desire for every dad in this room today? Uh, God, But God's not so interested in you winning dynasties and championships as He is in you winning the hearts of your children. Winning your child's heart in such a way that it influences your grandchild's heart. God's desire for every man in this room is a three-peat. Did you know that's exactly what Moses communicated to the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament? In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read you what he says. He says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God commanded you to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Let's pause there. I mean, did you see it? Notice he says that you, that's the dad, and your son, that's the children, And your grandson, well, that's the grandchildren. That's a three-peat. You see, God's not so much interested in winning dynasties as He is in creating legacies. Hundred-year legacies of influence. But the question is, why? Well, look at the rest of the verse. It says, so that your days may be prolonged in the land. Notice it also says that it might go well with you in a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God wants to do more than just lengthen your days. He wants your heart to connect with the hearts of your children in such a way that it enriches and prospers not only your life, but the life of your sons and daughters. In fact, it was Ralph Sockman who put it this way. You can put the quote up. What makes greatness is starting something that will live after you. You see, in God's economy, that's a three-peat. And that's God's desire for every dad in this room. Did you know 
every son and every daughter sees themselves through their father's eyes. Bill Glass was speaking in prison in Southern California, and off the cuff, he just happened to ask this group of prisoners, he said, how many of you heard your dad say someday in the past, son, you're going to be in prison one day? Almost every man raised their hand. Roger Staubach was asked by a reporter what he remembers most about his dad. And without hesitation, he said, oh, that's easy. When I was a kid, my dad kept saying, son, you keep playing like that, you're going to be one of the best in the NFL. Did you know Ty Cobb's dad said something similar to him? I wonder what Pete Rose's dad said to him. Son, I bet you, and that's all he heard. You see, whether you believe it or not, every son, every daughter sees themselves through their father's eyes. Uh, Several years ago, Pierce Morgan uh, was interviewing Burt Reynolds when he asked him about his dad. I want you to hear Burt's response. Let's go back to to where it all started for you. You were born Burton Leon Reynolds Jr. in Waycross, Georgia in February 1936. Your father, Burt Sr., was a chief of police, and your mother firm was a nurse. When you were very young, your father was away fighting in the war. And in an extraordinary war, his regiment was one of the first to land on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. 70% of his regiment were killed that day. Yes. Did he ever talk to you about that? No, he wouldn't talk about it. But I, I, I met men that served with him, served under him, that idolized him. And they told me... It's an extraordinary story. He took a hill uh, by himself that there were eight or nine Germans there shooting at him. Uh, He got them all. He uh, was quite a man. A loving man? He he was, that was a time, you know, uh, an era when men didn't show affection, you know. I I would have killed for a hug from him. He lived to be 94, and the last four years of his life, we talked about a lot of things like that. And he said some things that I can't even say now without crying. Had he not lived that long, I never would have heard them. What was the the general gist of his explanation? I didn't know how to say it, but I didn't know how to say it. I knew he, he wanted to say it, desperately. What do you think he wanted to say to you that he couldn't? I think you want to say how proud he was of me. Did he ever tell you that he loved you? Yes. Towards the end of his life? Yes. The very end. That must have meant a, a huge deal to you. It was uh, everything. Did you hear his words? It was everything. You see, if you don't connect with your dad emotionally, you never outgrow your need for your dad's approval. That's the power every dad in this room wields. 
So how do we harness that innate power of a dad so that as fathers we can three-peat? I mean, how do we pass on a legacy that grows and builds and lives on long after we're gone? Well, Moses answers that question in the rest of the text. Notice he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. You know, there are certain absolute truths about life that a dad just naturally wants his child to understand. Uh, for instance, a dad would never teach his child to stand close to a fire. He would never teach him to stick a fork in an outlet. He would never teach him to touch the top of a stove. I mean, if he did, those are things that would uh, harm his child. Maybe you've heard it said there's no such thing as absolute truth. But but the person who says there's no absolute truth is making a a meaningless assertion. By making the statement there's no absolute truth, they're making a statement that's an absolute truth itself. And, And so Moses is saying here, just like there are absolute truths that govern this universe, there are some absolute truths about your relationship with God and how your child connects with you and with God. I mean, that's why he says what he does in the next verse. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You see, what Moses is saying is that for truth about the truth about God uh, to be embraced by our kids, then that truth must first Capture a dad's heart. In other words, if it doesn't capture our hearts as dads, then something else is going to capture our kids' hearts. In fact, John Fitzgerald Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States, and he, he left behind a legacy that was influenced and shaped strongly by his dad, Joe Kennedy. John Kennedy was in church almost every Sunday, He learned the truth about God while he was in church. His dad, Joe Kennedy, gave large sums of money to the church. But when it came to embracing truth about life, John Kennedy was quite confused. When he was 12 years old, his dad invited Gloria Swanson, the great actress, to their summer home to spend a week with the family. Unknown to the kids, Uh, He was having an affair with Gloria Swanson. One afternoon, he decided to take Gloria out in their large sailboat. And John got wind of this. He was 12 years old. And so he decided he would hide below deck. And then after they were a couple miles offshore, he decided he would make his way up to the deck and surprise his dad. Only John Kennedy got the shocking surprise of his life. When he came to the deck, he saw his dad having sex with Gloria Swanson. John Kennedy immediately threw himself overboard. I mean, it was his horror, his his shock at what his dad was doing. He just wanted to get out of there. Well, Joe Kennedy dove overboard uh, to save his son's life and drug him back on the boat. Now, Joe Kennedy knew what he had done was morally wrong. 
But he tried to rationalize his behavior to his son. You see, God's truth had not captured Joe Kennedy's heart. And so his son, John Kennedy, was left confused about truth. And so John Kennedy ended up leaving behind a legacy of womanizing and affairs. Now, that's the unintentional, powerful influence of a dad. You see, if truth doesn't capture our hearts as dads, then something else is going to capture the hearts of our kids. So the central issue when it comes to being a dad is not God changed my children, but God changed my children's father. That's the prayer. But, but that's not all Moses has to say here. Uh, leaving a legacy of influence, uh, not, truth not only has to capture a dad's heart, but he says truth needs to capture a dad's home. Notice what he says next. You shall teach them diligently to your children, when, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. I mean, do you see the cause-effect relationship here? I mean, Moses is saying that if truth is not in our hearts, then it's not going to be in our homes. And the reason for that is, The home is where the heart is revealed. That's where the mask is ripped off. I mean, it's easy to fool you. I'm only around you a couple hours on Sunday, maybe run into you once or twice during the week. But I can't fool my kids, Josh, Daniel, and Laura. Laura, they live with me. They know what I'm really like. That's why I think the posture of a dad in the home needs to be a posture of authenticity that's brought about by apology. You see, guys, we're not that good. We're going to make mistakes, and when we do, we need to go to our kids and apologize and seek their forgiveness. You see, when your kids are small, they'll put you on a pedestal. They'll think you're perfect, especially if you've got sons between dads the ages of about eight And 12, I mean, they'll put you up on that pedestal. Our job is to take ourselves down. Now, you do that by apologizing and seeking forgiveness when you do things wrong. Because if you don't do that when your kids are young, they'll yank you off the pedestal when they become teenagers. And great will be the fall therefrom. I'll never forget the time I was correcting Daniel. He was my ADD child, and... Trying to keep him on task was next to impossible. Uh, I'd ask him to do something probably a dozen, maybe even two dozen times on a Saturday. And every time I checked on him, it still hadn't been done, hadn't been done, hadn't been done. And one time I went upstairs to check on him, and it still had not been done, and I lost it. I was angry. He was about eight years old. I remember walking into his room and grabbing him by the arms and holding him above my head and saying, You get that done now. And it scared him. And God convicted me. I had to go into another room and get some control. And then this 40-year-old man had to go and get on one knee before an 8-year-old boy and tell him that I was sorry and ask him to forgive me. You see, gentlemen, that's where your integrity shows. And I want you to notice in the text that Moses says that our instruction needs to be both formal and informal. In fact, there are two words that are key to understanding the passage. The first is the word teach. It simply means to train or educate. 
The second word is talk. It has to do with dialogue. Notice the first is formal. Uh, the second is informal. And an effective dad is one who's involved with both. I mean, that's one of the reasons I've redoubled my efforts when my kids hit those transition stages like between childhood and adolescence. I remember when Josh got, went into sixth grade, I knew I needed to engage with him. He was my oldest, but I, I wasn't sure what to do. Now, Patty was sure what I needed to do. She kept handing me Bible study books and suggestions, but none of it just seemed to fit. But I didn't know what to do, so I, I pulled him aside before his sixth grade year that August, and I said, hey, Josh, here's what I'd like to do this year. What do you think about you and I getting together once a week and doing Bible study together? Well, he started to laugh. He looked at me. He said, yeah, Dad, you, you and I do Bible study. That's great. That's a joke. Well, I was serious. But I'm a quick read. So I, I said, yeah, 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 I was just joking about that. <laughs> and I'm just praying like crazy. God, what do I do with this teenage boy? I don't know what to do. I've got to have some ideas here. And so this thought ran through my mind. It was the only thought I had. I thought, maybe that's God, maybe not, but I'm going to go with it. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean what, here's what I was really thinking. I was thinking, you know, maybe you and I could get breakfast once a morning, uh, I mean, one day a week. Your favorite place, McDonald's. I'm buying, but it'll cost you something. I kind of got his attention. I said, now, when we have breakfast, I get to ask you a question you have to answer honestly, and, and you get to ask me a question I have to answer honestly. We both get one question, and we both have to answer honestly. That's what it'll cost you. Well, it had enough intrigue to it. He, he took it uh, like that trout, kind of hook, line, and sinker, the whole thing. And so we began meeting at McDonald's on Tuesday mornings before school, and we began interacting over questions. Now, I started out with some creative questions. I wanted this to be a fun, engaging time. So the first question I asked Josh is, uh, if your closet were a time machine, where would you go and why? And we talked a little bit about that. first question he asked me is, Dad, how long do you think I'll play in the NBA? <laughs> now, he was just a little short fellow. I didn't say, you know, son, one in ten million play in the NBA. You're not playing in the NBA. No, I engaged where a sixth grader's heart was. I said, I answered his question with a question. So how long would you like to play in the NBA? How many points would you score? I mean, who do you think you'd play for? Well, I was kind of experimenting with this, and I was passing on my questions to another dad, Steve, and he was asking the same questions I was asking Josh to his son, Adam. So Steve asked Adam, you know, if your closet were a time machine, where would you go and why? And they talked a little bit about that, and then, then Steve said, okay, Adam, your turn to ask me a question. I mean, anything you want to know about dating, about sex, about, I mean, relationship with your mom and how I met her? I mean, it's your turn. Ask me a question. Adam kind of looked around. He said, anything, Dad? Yeah, anything. Man to man. Mono to mono right here. Give me your best shot. Come on. Give it to me. Give it to me. Adam said, well, Dad, I wondered about this. Dad, can, can you tell me why farts stink? <laughs> he said, think about it, Dad. God could have made him smell any way he wanted, but he made him stink. I want to know why. Well, this was a wise dad. He didn't say, son, that's a stupid question. He engaged where sixth grader's mind is, uh, bodily functions. He said, well, he answered his question with a question. What's the worst one you ever smelled? And so they had a discussion on flatulent there at the table. 
Well, I mean, you, you can imagine that those questions, uh, creative questions, led to uh, character questions, some developmental questions. Uh, I mean, there were times that Josh and I interacted over biblical ideals. Uh, I, I remember once I asked him the question, Son, if you could recreate yourself, what would you not change? It's a hard question for him to answer. He wanted to tell me what he didn't like about himself. I wanted to hear what he liked. But the question was really a setup so that I could then tell him what I liked about him and what I admired in him. And I saw a sixth grader sit a little taller in his seat that day. Next Tuesday we got together. I asked him this question. God's talking to his angels in heaven. He's talking about you. What do you think he's saying and why? His answer blew me away. But again, it was a setup because I wanted to tell him what I think God is saying about him, how God delights in him and enjoys him and longs to be with him and encourage him. I mean, we discussed issues about manhood, peer pressure, dating, sex. Gentlemen, questions. They're like crowbars. They dislodge thoughts. They free up emotions. They give the other person the ability to feel and express what's going on in their heart. Well, at the end, near the end of the sixth grade year, I decided I'd do a little passage of manhood with Josh. And so I invited two other men to join me on a weekend. A young man needs to be uh, called into manhood by older men, men he respects, not by... Kids his age, not by teenagers, by an older man. And so we did a weekend. It was a fun, glorious weekend. And then we finished that weekend, and summer break was on us. And I thought, well, I'd done my duty. That was a good year. First Tuesday of summer break, 6 a.m., there's a knock on the bedroom door. Hey, Dad, we're going to breakfast, aren't we? We're going to breakfast. Now, I told you I'm a quick read. I woke up. I said, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess I didn't set my alarm. I'll be ready. Give me a second. So we met throughout summer break at 6 in the morning. And then we met through his 7th grade year, his 8th grade year, all the way through his senior year, seven years of interacting over questions and issues. And I started the same process with Daniel when he uh, turned 12 going into the 6th grade. And had a similar process with my daughter, Laura. Now, gentlemen, I want you to know, there were many Monday nights. I did not want to have to think of another strategic question to ask my son. And there were too many Tuesday mornings when that alarm went off. I did not want to get out of bed. But what I've learned is that a healthy home is not the product of an accident. It's the product of cultivation. I want you to notice how Moses puts it here. He says we do it diligently. In other words, God is saying you've got to throw everything you've got into this process. And to you young dads, let me ask you the question. Do you have a plan to teach your sons and daughters? Patty and I, years ago, sat down and we listed the things out we wanted our children to have under their belt by the time they left home to go to job or to go to college. 
I mean, on that list were things like the value of integrity and humility, honesty, balancing checkbook, handling money, a walk with God. We wanted to give our kids an opportunity to experience a third world country where they were going to serve people who had less than they did. So when Josh was 16, he and I ended up spending two weeks on the the Tibetan plateau. We were serving the Kham, a tribe in Tibet, the calm Tibetans. It changed his life and it changed mine. Day 17, Daniel and I end up spending 10 days in the garbage dumps of San Salvador, rebuilding 10 homes for the poorest of the poor. And Patty and Laura, my daughter, they spent uh, two summers in Mexico rebuilding wheelchairs for the disabled. I mean, gentlemen, do you have a plan? Because if you don't, Their character is not coming from you. It's coming from the culture. And the culture will steal your kids from the confines of your home and you won't even know they're missing. You know, I find it fascinating when it comes to the New Testament. There's an old rabbi named Paul who writes something similar to a church he planted in Ephesus. In fact, in Ephesians 6.4, he says this, And you, fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You know, I find it fascinating that Paul addresses dads specifically here in the text. I mean, why not the moms? Where are they? I mean, he could address both parents, but he picks on the dads. He singles them out. And you're left to ask the question, why? And I think the answer is because of the influence of a dad. You see, our influence is so pervasive in the home, it's Paul's way of saying, guys, the buck stops with you. Now, notice that his exhortation includes an encouragement and a warning. Uh, The encouragement, well, it's bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. In other words, every child needs instruction. Every child needs correction. That, That makes sense. But what I want you to notice is the warning. Without a father's engagement, notice a time bomb is released in the soul of every child. I mean, look at the text carefully. Do you see it? Dad, we only have two choices. You can either bring them up well or you provoke them. You either give them direction in life, fill their soul with substance, or you make them angry. It's the only two choices we're given, and the latter is lethal. And isn't that what we see all around the country today? I mean, whether it's angry inner city kids or it's suppressed anger in young executives trying to live up to dad's expectations or trying to communicate to dad, I don't have to live under your watchful eye. And if those emotions were traced back to their roots, in most cases it would lead back firmly to the feet of a dad, an unengaged, passive dad. So the question remains, how do we engage? Well, look back at the Deuteronomy 6 passage. Moses tells us. Notice what he says. He talks about the form the instruction needs to take. He says, when you sit in your house. That's around the dinner table. That's in the living room. Notice, spiritual instruction takes place when you walk by the way. That's the park, that's the mall, that's the ball field, that's taking them fishing. When you lie down, that's bedtime. 
When you rise up, well, that's the breakfast table. In other words, spiritual instruction. The truth about what God's life takes place in the context of life. The classroom of life. In other words, it's looking for and creating and taking advantage of those golden moments that raise their heads right in front of you. So a dad must allow the truth about God to capture his heart and capture his home. But Moses concludes by telling us that that truth has got to capture his habits. Look at the last verse. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I mean, do you see the cause-effect relationship now? Uh, Moses is saying that if it's not in our heart, it's not going to be in our home. And if it's not in our home, then it will probably not be in the habits of dad's life or the habits of their kids' lives. Notice that there are two places. The truth about God needs to be bound. The first place is the hand. Now, it doesn't mean literally writing it on your hand like a tattoo. The hand is symbolic for our actions. The truth about God needs to influence our actions. But the second place it's to be bound is the frontlets between your eyes. I mean, he's talking about the forehead here. And it's symbolic of your attitudes, truth should influence our attitudes. And notice there are two places the truth should be written. It's on the doorpost of the house and on the gates. I mean, the doorposts speak of the private areas of life. The gates speak of the public areas of life. In Jewish culture, business was always transacted at the gates of the city. In other words, he's saying the truth about God should be so pervasive that it influences how we think and what we do to the most intimate aspects of the bedroom, to the most public aspects of community and business life. Now, when you read it that way, I mean, you've got to ask the question, why is God being so inclusive here? All of life. Let's say this morning I told you that I solved the problem of male pattern baldness. I've done experiments and I've got cases of hair restoring oil out here in the atrium that I'm going to sell for 150 bucks a bottle. Would you buy from me? I mean, you look at me and you go, well, wait a minute, something's wrong there. You're bald as a cue ball. Why would I buy from you? I mean, you get a head full of the stuff, I might buy a boatload. You see, there's a universal principle of life, gentlemen, that we can't pass on what we do not possess. In other words, God wants to sing a song into our lives. And he wants that song to capture our hearts. And the way our kids learn the song is by listening to us sing and watching us live out the words of that song. The way God teaches our kids to sing is that he sings to them through us. That's your influence, dads. A number of years ago, there was a study done comparing and contrasting two different families. 
One family was the family of Max Jukes. He was a man of no principle and very low morals, and he, he married a woman of like character. And as they tracked his family through history, or they went back and looked at his family through history, I want you to listen to what they discovered. In Max Jukes' family, there were 310 professional vagrants. 440 lived lives wrecked by lying, cheating, and stealing. 130 were sent to prison on the average of 13 years each. Seven of his descendants were murderers. A hundred were alcoholics. Sixty were habitual thieves. Ninety were public prostitutes. None of them made a significant contribution to society. In fact, they end up costing the state of New York millions upon millions of dollars. So they contrasted his family with another family, the family of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards a couple who embraced the truth about God. Here's what they discovered. In the Edwards legacy, there were 100 lawyers and a dean of a law school, 65 professors, 30 judges, 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school, 13 college presidents, 80 holders of public office, including mayors of three large cities, governors in three states, three U.S. senators, comptroller of the U.S. Treasury, and the Vice President of the United States. You see, the choice is ours, gentlemen. What kind of legacy will you leave? You know, the truth is that leaving a legacy of destiny uh, has a lot of ups and downs. It has a lot of successes and failures. There's not a dad in this room, including me, who does that perfectly. And we at Horizon, we, we want to help you. Navigate the difficult waters of parenting as well as manhood. In fact, I want you to focus your attention on a friend of mine, uh, Rich Palmer, is going to come up uh, and tell his story. Would you welcome Rich and Chad? Well, Rich, tell us a little bit about, uh, you've uh, been under some of Doug's teaching in our men's program for the last couple of years. What are some of the ways you've been challenged to be a better dad? Well, as uh, our two children, Gray and Abigail, are transitioning from childhood to their teen years, um, Kelly and I have recognized we have to completely change our parenting style, and it's, it's been a big challenge for us to make that pivot. And for the last two years, I've attended the men's study that Doug led on Tuesday mornings. The first year was the quest for authentic manhood, and then the second year was winning at work, winning at home. And Doug really helped me understand, and the guys there understand the important role that we play in leading our families, mm-hmm. and really that role that uh, we have to lead the instruction in our household. And, you know, honestly, that was something that was easy for me to turn over to Kelly. You know, I was off doing work. You know, she could lead the instruction of the kids, and I've come to realize that you know, as the father, I need to be the spiritual leader in our household and really identify those opportunities to speak truth into our kids. That's good. You know, sometimes that's, uh, you know, you hear talk, you get fired up about it, and you think, well, i got to do that, and, and it's like uh, working out, you know, and for two weeks it works great. Uh, Javen and I have been going through a book together, um, a book together for three years. Uh, <laughs> it's slow going, it's a lot of start, stop, and at moments I'm like, oh man, it's such a failure that I haven't worked this in. Have you had, has it been all success the whole time, or have you had a similar start-stop method for you? No, I, I can completely relate. Doug's story this morning about uh, taking his sons out to breakfast reminded me that um, when he shared that with the men's group, you know, we all nodded, and I thought, oh, that's a fantastic idea. So 
I got the list of questions from Doug, and I sat down with my son, Gray, and explained it to him. He thought it was a great idea, and I think we went once, <laughs> maybe twice. And then, you know, life got in the way, and we just got busy. And, um, you know, I, I you know, hope to get back into that. You know, this summer would be a good opportunity. But um, as I thought about it, I have... Um, try to just even as simple as drive the kids to school, and sometimes it's just with Gray or Abigail or both of them, and that short ride to school gives me an opportunity to ask questions, learn more about what's going on in their lives, and just connect with them in a way that's, that's been meaningful. Mm. And what have been some of the remembrances, or what has worked well in the midst of that? Yeah, I think uh, one thing is really trying to be very um, strategic about setting aside time and trying to create some lasting memories, and one of the things that we've done actually here at Horizon the last two years is to have a father-son weekend mm-hmm. where um, the dads and, and the sons can learn about what the uh, biblical definition of manhood is and what God's plan is for them as men mm-hmm. and uh, work through that together and then have a very fun and challenging weekend that can create this uh, lasting memory. And how that's helped me is that it gives uh, Gray and I uh, common language. And so we can talk about what God's desire is for him and um, and be speaking the same words and, and be able to point back to that weekend uh, when there's some challenges in our relationship and, and talk about what we experienced together then. Oh, that's good. Now, how um, what Moses talked about the Shema, which is, uh, you know, we've been in a series called Jewish Jesus, and that Shema is this idea that we as fathers should impact our hearts, as Doug mentioned, and then that should play out in our home. How has your understanding of being a follower of Christ impacted your desire to be a father or to influence not just your son, your grandsons, but, you know, for generations? Yeah. Well, as my uh, relationship is, with Christ has grown, I've been able to accept God's grace. I've, I've recognized how I need to give grace to, to my kids. And um, Kelly and I have been working through a book with our small group called Grace-Based Parenting. And it's really challenged the whole way that I approach parenting. And, it, you know, it talks about this balance between love and instruction and discipline and how um, grace-based parents um, give high love to their kids, but also high discipline and instruction. And I think as a dad, the discipline and instruction comes very easy to me, but the love, uh, not so much. And, you know, if I think about it, I, I find myself getting angry with my kids when I would never do that with my friends or coworkers. I, mm. I can't think the last time that I lost my temper at work, but I'm sure my kids can tell you when I lost my temper at home right. in the last uh, a couple of days. And, um, you know, it's just uh, made me a much more aware of that impact that I can have. And as um, I turn my life over to Christ and can accept God's grace in my life, it makes it so much easier for me to show that grace to our children. And, and I've seen a big impact of that in our household. So if you were to track just maybe a specific example of the difference between before you're applying grace and, and after, is it I'm catching myself getting angry ahead of time? Is it like Doug shared, I'm going and I'm apologizing? You know, uh, what, is, what does it look like that this grace thing's playing out here? Yeah, for me, it's, it's really taking that deep breath and, and kind of taking a step back um, before reacting out in anger and discipline and, um, you know, just accepting my kids for who they are and where they are. And that doesn't mean we don't hold them accountable, yeah. but it's just in a very different and more loving way. And I'm far from perfect at it, yeah. but it's just uh, recognizing those moments. And, and for me, it's, it's taking a breath or taking a break um, before we have that discussion. Excellent. Can we thank Rich for telling the story? Rich, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm going to invite the band to come up.
know, if there's one person who made, uh, left a championship or dynasty, it's Jesus Christ. And you think, here we are 2,000 years later, and we are together exploring or being equipped in the impact of a man who lived his life 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's a championship. And Jesus was Jewish. He's a Jewish rabbi, and he lived out this truth in such a way that it was compelling to 12 men who watched him day in and day out for three years, and they saw whether or not he was living it out in a, in a hypocritical way. Where was Jesus impacted? Now, there's an old Jewish tradition that says that when you come to a village, if they don't have a rabbi, go talk to the carpenter, because the carpenters were known for their knowledge of Scripture. In fact, carpenters, there's hardly any woodworking done over in Israel. It's almost all uh, stonemasons, because there's stone everywhere. So it's probably true that... Uh, Jesus' father was a stonemason. Tecton is the word for carpenter. And they would often memorize scripture because while they're out there chiseling away with, uh, with their hammers on the rock, they would use the rhythms to memorize the scripture and to talk it out. And though Jesus lost his father at a very young age, the influence of his father impacting Jesus, who then impacted 12 men, who impacted 70, who impacted 120, who then impacted the world and literally turned the empire upside down the Roman Empire to the point at which we are engaged with his life these years later. That's a championship. That's the measure of a man. Well, again, we hope that this is a great Father's Day for you. We appreciate you being here, and we just want to celebrate the impact that uh, you have the potential of having in your father. And you know, maybe for some of us, we say, oh, man, those are great. I wish I had heard that message 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, it's too late for me. But I'm you, just like Burt Reynolds said, his father was 90, and it wasn't too late. There's still a way in which you can engage and have an influence with your kids. In fact, you might have a, the missing piece of a puzzle that one of your children are just waiting for you to begin to put that in place. And here's the easiest way to make an excuse for that. Start with an apology. Hey, man, I just, can we get together? I want to apologize for, for what happened, and, and I want to start something new. And God will begin to rebuild from that by you coming with humility and honesty. And that could be the missing piece. Like, like Burt Reynolds said, it could mean everything that you re-engage with your children. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that uh, you are a God of grace, which means you give us what we don't deserve. You're a God of mercy. You don't give us what we do deserve. But God, that you engage with us as a heavenly father. And, and you are the perfection of our earthly father, not the reflection of our earthly father. God, you're the father we always wanted. You're the one that can uh, heal our hearts, give us strength. Let us know we're loved. You brag about us. You cheer us on. You forgive us. You're willing to go to bat for us. You even came from heaven to earth to fight for us. We thank you for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here. Happy Father's Day. If you're new to Horizon, third door on your left are some volunteers. would love to greet you. If you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes on the way out. Thanks again.